You're listening to the Course Creation Bites podcast, bite-sized lessons for busy business owners creating, launching, and selling their own course. Each week, you'll get short, practical lessons that focus on one part of your online course creation journey and an easy action step to go away and implement. Here's your host, Sam Winch, the course creator, not the lunchtime food. Let's get started. Let's talk all about how your content is being used. Hi, I'm Sam Winch, the course creator, not the lunchtime food. And today we're going to talk about how your content is being used by your students. And as always, there's a reason that I want to talk to you about this stuff. And it's because so often I find course creators fall into the pattern or habit or assumptions that they have to make certain things. So for example, recently I was talking to a client and we were talking about how we'd lay out her course content and what would go in each lesson and we were mapping out the whole process. And then I was saying things like, okay, here we can guide them through um, as an instructional piece and include some graphics. And here I'd love a video and here I'd love this thing. And she kind of looked at me blankly for a moment. I said, what's wrong? She said, I don't have to build a video for every little thing. And I'm like, no, not necessarily. And you don't necessarily have to. Video definitely serves a purpose and a lot of people love video, but we have fallen into this trap of thinking that it's a necessity at every single step along the way. And it's not necessarily. It is a very valuable, useful tool, but it doesn't solve every problem. For example, there'll be a large portion of your audience that just doesn't love video. And so if you make the assumption that you have to teach everything in video or you have a video only program, you're going to be disconnecting with a large portion of your audience who doesn't love watching video. So today we're going to talk more about how your content is going to be used and then what you can do once you know those things. Before we go into this, you don't need to know all of the answers to this at the beginning. So some of the questions I'm going to pose here, you might know the answers to, and some of the questions you might not know the answer to, and that's okay. It's just to get you thinking. Ideally, at the end, you want to test and measure. We can make assumptions and guesstimates and estimates, but even if I sit down with a client and say, I think we should do things this way, it's my estimate based on things I know. But once it hits their target audience and their users, it might not hit the ground quite the way I thought it would. It might not do exactly the thing I thought it would or work quite the way I thought it would. So even if you've been building courses for 10, 15, 20 years, testing and measuring, making sure that the thing you're doing is doing the thing you want it to do is really important. So you don't need to know all the answers up the front because some of them you won't know until you've tested to see what's working and what's not. And then you can make those edits and assumptions afterwards. So how is your content being used? We're going to go through three sets of questions that you can start to think about or ask yourself to really think about how your content's being used and the best kind of content that you can build. So set of questions number one, is your course being built for certification purposes? That is to say, what kind of outcome are you trying to get your students to reach? When they finish the course, are they going to walk away and say, I finished such and such's course and now I'm a certified copywriter. Now I'm an approved this. Now I'm a certified that. Is your course part of a certification program or an approval program or something where you're putting your stamp next to their name or where they will put your stamp next to their name and they'll go away and say, I've finished this course, so now I'm better at this thing. 
Specifically here, we're thinking about what kind of outcomes they're going to reach. And this is because it changes the need for assessment and observation. If you're building a course, which is just, uh, this is for your knowledge, it should improve your life. It might improve your business kind of a course, but I'm not really putting my, my name against your name. I'm not claiming now that you're, I guarantee that you know what you're talking about. Then we don't have to have assessment. We don't have to have observation. But if you're creating the kind of program where they're going to go away and they're going to say, I took such and such as course and now I'm qualified or certified or guaranteed or whatever, or if you're going to start guaranteeing people that by the time they've finished your course, they will be able to do certain things, then you need to test that. This is where assessment and observation comes in, because when you say you will be able to do this and then they walk away thinking they can, the question becomes, can they? Can they really do those things? And if you haven't tested them, then you don't know. Now, most courses don't need large assessment. Most courses don't need any assessment if it's simply for their knowledge only. We don't have to test our students necessarily. But if you're building the kind of course where they're going to start saying, I took such and such's course and now I can do these things, or if you're offering certifications or stamps of approval or approved processes, then having some sort of assessment process and observation process is incredibly valuable at the end of your program and will save you in the future from being associated with people who might be doing things the wrong way, who are claiming your name or your program taught them how to do those things. Group of questions number two. How fast do they need the content? So start to ask yourself questions about how fast do you want to teach this or how fast do they want to learn this? How fast do they want to reach the outcomes? Now, obviously, this impacts your course length. So, for example, people are very willing to go to university for two, three, four years to study something that will change their lifelong career or their lifelong trajectory. Proportionately, it's a small period of time to allow to learn for something that is going to impact the rest of their life. People might not be as willing to spend three, four years learning something that they need to know right now. So for example, if I'm trying to find out how to embed a video in my website, I'm going to go and Google it because I need the answer now because I'm stuck and I'm trying to fix something. But same if it was like um, emergency CPR, if I Googled how to do emergency CPR because I was in a situation where I desperately needed it and I found a course that had a launch date in six weeks time and it was a five week course, I'm not buying it. Now, obviously, that's an extreme example and not likely the case, but to really think about how fast do they want change and how quickly do they need the information. Obviously, this changes your course length. If you're trying to teach them something that they want to know and they want the outcomes for quickly and you say, hey, I've got an 18-week program, it's just not going to gel. But it also impacts your delivery. For example... Are you going to do live launches? So they say this course opens in six weeks or is it going to be available for evergreen sale where they land on the sale page and they can buy today when they want it? There is a place for both and both are really important. But thinking about your outcomes and how you're going to deliver them might mean that getting them to wait six weeks for the next launch just isn't going to work. And they want to buy it right now because they're ready to learn the stuff right now. It also impacts how you deliver the content once they're inside. So whether you're drip feeding content or not. Drip feeding works okay if you've got a live audience who are going through something together, but in most cases for an evergreen program, drip feeding simply hinders progress. They bought today because they want to learn it today. And we tend to binge content. Much like we binge on Netflix and anything else now, we tend to binge content in courses as well. I might put aside a weekend to try and smash through everything, or I might try and do some in the evenings once the kids have gone to bed. But I want the content now when I want it. I don't want to wait till next week to try and get that bit. Really think about how fast do they want this outcome? Are they willing to wait six weeks for the next live launch and then 12 weeks for the program? Or do they need something faster? Do we need to build something that's going to support them to get there faster? Do we need to drip the content or do we need to make it evergreen? And there is a rules of questions you can think about when it comes to how fast someone wants the outcomes. 
Set of question number three is how are they consuming your content? Now, this brings us right back to the beginning of the podcast when we were talking about video and the need for video. How are your audience consuming content? For example, I put a poll in my Facebook group a while back and we started talking about how do people like to review content and actually video was one of the lesser voted options. There's quite a large portion of my audience who just likes to read things and I get that, that's me. If I'm looking around for an answer for something online, I don't want the video because I have to sit through eight minutes of stuff to find the 30 seconds that I need and I can't skim it. It's much harder to skim a video. But what I love is text on a screen with good headers and some graphics and images because I can skim read, I can find the one bit I need and I can implement fast. I don't like to be slowed down. I'm a little impatient. Now, some of your audience might be the same. Another portion of my audience loves audio content. They really like to listen to things while they're in the car or on their walk. And it's part of the reason that I have a podcast at all is because I know that my audience likes to be able to listen to these kind of things. I spent quite a few years doing weekly vlogs and YouTube videos, but it just, it wasn't getting the same traction. Once I started podcasting, it gets much better traction with the podcast than I did ever with videos. And it's partly because my audience prefers to listen to the content and doesn't need the video to go with it. Now, you might be making assumptions about how your audience likes to consume content, but have you asked? Do they want 100 videos or would they like just a couple of videos where they're really important, but also some other forms of content too? Now, again, this is where you might not know the right answers, but you can definitely go to them and take a poll, but you can look back at things as well. Is your blog doing better than your videos? Is your podcast performing better than your blog? Do people spend more time reading your blog or are they bouncing? Is the bounce rate really high because they come in and they don't read it? These kind of supporting data will help you make decisions about the kind of content you need to be making. Okay, so time for an action step because you cannot build a course just by listening to me rant about courses. You need to go away and do something about the course. Now, today I proposed lots of questions for you. And like I said, you don't need to know the answers to all of them, but definitely think about those three groups of questions and at least give yourself some time to work out what's going to happen for you and what's going to work for your audience. So one, how is your content being used? Is it a certification program? If yes, you might need assessment. If no, you probably don't. Number two, how fast do they need the content? If it's quickly, then an evergreen all available up front might be better. And if it's not quite as quick, then a longer supportive drip fed program might work for you. And how are they consuming your content? If they love video, awesome, then 100 videos or 50 videos or 20 videos might really work for your audience. But if they're not big video users, what other methods of content are you also using to support them? Do you have transcripts? Do you have audios? What's available to help them through the process? Like I said, You don't need to know right answers, but have a think about how your audience is using your content. It'll make it much easier for you to build in the future. Okay, it's time for all of those podcasty bits. If you've loved this episode, share it with your friends or just tell random people about it. Stop them in the street. Okay, don't stop them in the street, but please do share it with your friends, especially if you think they will find it helpful. Make sure that you have subscribed so that you get access to all of the future episodes and better still, leave a review podcast reviews are like gold. So I would really appreciate it if you took a couple of moments and leave a review with your thoughts and takeaways from this podcast episode. Lastly, why not come over and join my free Facebook group? Simply search content into courses inside Facebook. There's some good interaction that happens on over there. I'm in and out on a regular basis to answer all of your questions and to give some live tips and tricks. And you get to learn from other course creators about all the things you can do to grow your course and your audience. That's it for this time. But as always, I will catch you next time. Mm